Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gas going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Crank up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. What's the cutoff point for saying you work in football? Egg and milk stuff on the Lithuanian frisbee scene. A co-commentator who exists purely in vowel sounds. What are the criteria for a substitute being thrown on? What entitles a commentator to say advantage club X after a first leg? Exclusive clubs, buffet balls the definitive laws of drawing dotted lines on league tables, and are we about to welcome the Premier League manager least likely to pass the Keezy test? Brought to your ears by Goalhanger Podcasts, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone, welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, this is the Midweek Adjudication Panel. Alongside me, Charlie Eccleshare, hello. Hello. And David Walker, hello. Hello. Um, Same message as always, if you've got some spare tickets for the show get in touch with me by dm on twitter and i will find some buyers for you a roaring i wouldn't call it a black market you know it's all about it's all legit but yeah some very satisfied customers out there um some people not replying to um the emails of people who have asked to buy their tickets so stop fucking around and uh keep the machine oiled right adjudication panel time lovely midweek stuff to get a little different vibe for the midweek adjudication panel i always think under the lights vibe kicking off with this from simon trainer he says this may have come up before but there's a clip in your intro that i've always wondered about jonathan pierce says in the extended version of his cantonar commentary i've never seen such a disgraceful incident in all my years in football but is he in football closer than most but i take that to mean at a club or a football association. Charlie, did or does Jonathan Pierce work in football? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, definitely. We work in football. Oh, I was, I was going to swing it around to you specifically. <laughs> Do you think you work in football? Yeah. Obviously, not, like, the outer edge of it, mm, but... Not, you're not on the outside can... looking in. Um, you're in football, are you? I think so. I think there is... If there is a distinction to be made, or, or a line, I think it's... 
going to stadiums is a big part of working in football. Me and you, Adam, I mean, I used to, but I don't think I do anymore. I don't think doing this podcast or editing I wouldn't editing say this articles... Podcast this podcast, Charlie, I will make an allowance for, which is why I was going to go to him with this because I yeah. feel like he he is the edge case for this. So you think, Dave, the physical that? Yeah, I think that maybe that is a good distinction, and that's why instinctively I felt Pierce definitely is because he's there, he's right on top of it. Yeah, and he's talking to people in the game. In the game, <laughs> broadcasting probably is more so than it would have been back in '95 as part of the game because it's so mm. intrinsically linked now. It's such an influence. The money is so important and all that sort of stuff. The the access is maybe slightly better, maybe. Um, it's influence over the whole set of proceedings. The access was better back then, I'd say. Depending but on what when you I mean say access, access, sorry, I don't... Yeah. When I say access, I mean the fact that how much they've ingrained themselves in the match day experience and in their pitch side and all that sort of shit. Thinking about myself, actually, when you say like, oh, I was, t- I was talking to a guy in football, I was talking to a guy in the game. I can't imagine... If someone were talking to me, I can't imagine them describing me in that way I don't think I'd meet that threshold I've got oh, a mate old. actually he works in football yeah. yeah you'd assume that meant working for a club wouldn't you what does he do oh he, he works in banking oh he works for the trade magazine in banking oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I do think there is there probably is a little bit of people that work such as us who, who work in the football media are quite happy to say that we work in football but people who are actually involved in football in terms of working for clubs or whatever probably would look down at that and think do you really yeah you're not in it yeah completely agree with that right moving on uh you'll recall on a very recent episode one deluded cliches listener thought jermaine genius said you'd a very peculiar phrase on match of the day only for it to turn out he'd simply said different class today well and this came from p blurds This is comfortably the most obscure sporting commentary we will ever feature on this pod. This is, bear with me, this is indoor, five-a-side, ultimate frisbee, on sand, in Lithuania. Pakstas goes to Doniela, and he finds space in the corner! What a play, what a celebration! Mendeliz gets up jacked on life. He is different custard, and he <laughs> finds a way to look good some way, somehow. <laughs> oh, there it is. <laughs> what? Who found this? It's happened. <laughs> this is Some incredible. Blurds. So, is it a thing, or is it a cliché's listener? Who knows? Oh, I mean... Come on. (laughs) There is no doubt that this person has been made aware of it, either listens or has somehow been made aware of it. And it's the perfect place to drop it in. Yeah. Have we tracked him down? I mean, can we ask him? I I can't imagine the commentary teams on indoor Ultimate Frisbee are too hard to track down and too lofty. I imagine if you work in Ultimate Frisbee, maybe uh, you've got an ego about you. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, perhaps this, this is like the ice hockey gets the shot away all over again. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. Good. Jack Stubbings next. He says, listening to the podcast on Tuesday, I was deeply concerned by Patrick Davidson jumping in the gun on bit of both gate. But I was reassured by a true return to form with a brilliant setup and delivery by P. Mullenstein and Michael Bridges on the world feed for Man City versus Brentford on Tuesday evening. Have Manchester City underperformed or have Brentford just been really defensively solid? I think it's a bit of both because City have had the chances. 
You know, that first half... I was... Classic. It is a classic, Dave. But, Charlie, this rubber stamps it. Is it um, this is the textbook bit of both things. It's always, has this team been good or has this team been under par? Yeah, he, he does, though, um, expand on it quite quickly to give him his... Ju- it's not just a bit of, bit of both, case closed. He, he kind of ex- expl- shows his bit of both working, which I appreciated. Some cases, it really is a bit of both. And, and that's probably why it has become the classic bit of both thing, Dave, because it is so often the case. Quite literally is two teams being so disparate in their in their expectations and delivery and almost completely unprovable yeah well that's the thing i was gonna say can you yeah you just don't know there's margin for error isn't there with a bit of both like can you i was thinking that like barcelona when barcelona beat real madrid 5-0 in the classico in i think it's november 2010 and real madrid have like an all-star lineup out managed by Mourinho. it's it's incredible their team and I do wonder if that's one, if there can ever be a not so much a bit of both. Can that just be that Barcelona were just absolutely sensationally good on that day? But you can never say that because there'll always be an assumption that the other team must have been bad. And like Dave says, it's unprovable. You don't know how much they've been made to play badly. It would be nice if someone did try and mix it up and just in the answer, you know, in answering uh, P. Mullenstein's question, Michael Budgie just went, uh, the former. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know if you really were to dig into the concept, Dave. Um, the worse a team plays, the more opportunity it gives for the other team to play well, but only in a certain kind of way. So it's a bit of a vacuum, isn't it? I'm sure that there's probably an analytical way of lo- looking at the data. I mean, field position or pressures or pressures that led directly to mistakes or some sort of advanced metric. Let's delve into non-league now. This is uh, National League South, I believe. Uh, it came from Leo and he says, Hampton and Richmond's Radio Beaver have a regular co-commentator whose role, as far as the highlights show, consists mostly of saying, oh, in various ways as the action goes on, sort of Neville style. He sent me an incredible showcase of this. Here it is. In trying to control it, he did actually give it away. Oh. Hampton should have won it back. It's now with Jake Gray, who's got in between the lines. Here's Jake Gray coming oh. towards the edge of the box. He takes oh. a shot. It's a good save by Day. It's gone out to Rob Hall. Oh. Takes a shot. Well blocked. Just, uh, Hunt- yeah, there's a built attack building up on the right. It's Worthington who crossed the ball in. Drea slips. Oh. 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 What a save by Adam Debois. Now here's Fernandez and Deadfield. Now here's Hall finding that pocket of space. Oh. Now here's Jake Gray on the right-hand side. Oh. Riggles away from two Yeovil defenders. Jake Gray with a left-footed oh. shot. Oh, and it's... Well, it was a bit of an awkward one. Well, it was given away to Sam Deadfield, but Yeovil have the ball back. Oh. Frank Newell is inside the box. He'll have the chance to take a shot. Oh, oh my goodness. Shot just wide of goal. Boomfield yes. worked some space for himself. Yes, yes. Shot. Oh. Good save by Day. Hard to keep count because sometimes, you know, they're, they're part of the same phase of ooing. <laughs> Different phases. Fairly astonishing sort of rhythm in the end, Charlie. But Leo goes on to say, the initial reaction when I first heard this was how annoying it must be for the main commentator. But over time, it's become clear that he is about as good as he could possibly be at this. Most of the oohs convey more about the game state than the actual commentary alongside it, which is obviously great for radio. It's easy to close your eyes and have a good guess of what's going on purely on the basis of the oohs. Um, there's such a great range of ooze there, isn't there? Quite infectious as well. Whilst watching it, you you almost want to start doing it yourself. I do wonder is it, like is he taking the piss? I don't think he is. No, but toward, at times it se- it sounds like he might be varying. Into but has it. has it just become his calling card? Very consistent with it, apparently, I'm told. I've been sent many examples of it. Leo is at pains point out, Dave, there's a lot of good analysis that goes in as well. He, he, he just happens to do this too. But he covers all the bases as well. There's a kind of opportunity, ooh, 
and like, oh, situational kind of, oh, is it going in? Oh, so uncertainty, oh, marginal decision, oh. There's a few nervous, like, oh. Yeah, yeah, something's oh, about to happen, oh. impending doom, yeah. oh. And a few relieved, like, oh, after it doesn't come to pass. I mean, it's a shame we didn't hear a goal. I'd like to yeah. hear what he does for a goal. <laughs> Goal shy Hampton and Richmond. Charlie, if I was going to have any feedback about this, I think there are some situations where he probably does too many yules when one would do, maybe. Possibly, and when the situation yeah. hasn't really graduated enough to say it again. <laughs> a niche area. We're all learning, he I think. He did slip in a few words. <laughs> he said yes a few times in an oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. the jury's out whether an oh my goodness counts as an oh, really. Extraordinary cadence, about one every about three seconds there, I think, in total. Let's stay on the non-league scene, moving up to the National League. Woking fan Andy has got in touch. and he, um, This is a, what he sent me is a lovely little window into the stresses of being a regional radio commentator who has to throw to other grounds for updates while the main game is still going on and you've got to find that moment to do it. This is from BBC Surrey as Curtis Edwards prepares to deliver a set piece for Woking against Halifax. Wants to make sure that FC Halifax Town Wall is in place behind the the white line which has been put down by the referee. Anderson is inside the box so he's Dyche. Dyche is the furthest one forward. Who's going to take this day? It's Edwards. Oh, it's dreadful. I wish we hadn't stayed for that. Well, let's go around the grounds. Crawley were winning 1-0 against Forest Green Rovers. Gary Smith, any update for us, please? So that was a complete waste of, uh, of time. Giving the build-up only for Curtis Edwards just to blaze that over the bar. First, first instance I've ever heard, Dave, of a commentator being genuinely annoyed that something has happened. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it has probably happened quite a lot on... You know, on Five Live or Talk Sport here and there, because you because you you do have to make that decision whether you help. and it's often the presenter will probably be in his ear be going you got to there's been a goal there's 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 been a goal at Brentford and he's go we're just gonna we're just gonna stay just stay with me here first we're just gonna see this free kick and then and then they go but you kind of you kind of do you never want to miss the goal so it's kind of worth it's worth risking. I suppose you didn't weigh the free kick as it went out. <laughs> okay, next one comes from Paul McInnes. And we often have our attention turned, Charlie, to the automated text commentary on Flash Score. Uh, this, this is an incredible example of where the algorithms perhaps don't do their job very well. Seventh minute of injury time at the Etihad on Tuesday night, Brentford's goalkeeper Mark Flecken was shown a yellow card. The text commentary said, Flecken will have to be careful for the rest of the match. <laughs> <laughs> He's walking a tightrope. What a tightrope that is. Yeah, that's good. 90 plus 8, Dave. That's it. Darren England blows his whistle and the game is over. <laughs> well, he listened. He was careful. That's ridiculous. Yeah, well, there you go. Right. Footballers' names in things. Jack Sears is first up. First up, of course, it's Silent Witness. It's Series 24, Episode 3 and 4. He says, I can't believe this chap's downfall after being voted 97th in Channel 4's 100 Greatest Sporting Moments. Ronald Radford. I'm arresting you on suspicion of grievous bodily harm. Yeah? You do not have to say anything, okay. but it may harm your defence if you do not mention when questioned something nonsense. that you later rely on in court. Anything you do say may be given yeah, in evidence. Do you understand? Yeah, I understand. Who? Ah, oh, come on. You can't have Ronnie Radford. Ronald Radford. You've got to be more subtle than this, haven't you? Well... They might think, yeah, I guess, I guess just in the demographic. But there probably are quite... Even a lot of younger, huge football fans wouldn't think anything of Ronald Radford. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose it does sound like... It does sound like a TV criminal's name as well, Dave, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Well, Ron, yeah, exactly. Ronnie, Ronnie Biggs. Cray. Proud history of criminals being called Ronnie. And there are other Ronald Radfords. An American guitarist. 
an English civil servant, an Australian curator, Ron Radford. Might be any of those three. The homage. Hope they're all um, history makers as well. Next one comes from James Toesland. It says, I'm not sure if this is too on the nose for footballers' names in things, but it jogged my memory of a character in Casualty who was tormented by his name, Series 18. Yeah, if you can just see that, gentlemen. Thanks, Nicky. Hello, mate. Give a family name. It's David. Hello, David. My name's Nicky. OK, I'm just going to ask you a few questions and I'm going to take a pulse. You haven't knocked yourself out at all? No, you've got no pains in your neck? No, just a cross here with a seatbelt. We'll need to take a statement from you, Mr. Becker. But we'll do it at the hospital. You are joking. <laughs> David Beckham. No, funny, isn't it? Better check his metatarsal. Yes, yes, that's a new one. Yes, my name is David Beckham. Only I haven't got the money, the looks or the talent. Can we change the subject? What about the wife? Not the wife either. As a result of this crash, I probably haven't got a job to boot. That's quite bleak, isn't it? So a rare knowing one there, Dave. It's quite old, this clip, isn't it? So this would have been, I'm sure, sort of the peak of Beckham mania. Uh, just before Christmas 2003, okay, yeah. December the 6th. I can tell you that very night that it was aired, Beckham's Real Madrid went to the new Camp and won 2-1. So his fortune's about as high <laughs> as they could be, opposed to the fictional David Beckham. Um, how crucial could it have been to the plot for this to be needed, Charlie? It's a weird... Uh, <laughs> it's an odd little story arc it's a good point adam actually what, what what dramatic purpose does that scene i haven't watched the whole episode i'll be honest with you but to pick up on one of the points about him being called david beckham dave if you were called david beckham around 2002 2003 just how many metatarsal jokes would you have heard <laughs> like is that how often would that have come up in conversations that oh yeah good one not that often yeah i mean surely the go-to would have been something like where's victoria or where's posh would there have been maybe a sarong yeah gag in about 98 um, something about the hair something about the hair don't kick me around the time of Simeone <laughs> <laughs> but Metatarsal would have had a moment for sh- a huge yeah. moment yeah, yeah. Was very in much that some April 20, 2002 space he was the pioneer of the Metatarsal fracture no question right moving on George Craven asks Charlie Chelsea defender Trevor Chalabar was thrown on against Manchester City midway through the second half, according to the commentators. Is throwing someone on always in some sort of desperation? And can it only be a defender or attacker? You'd throw on a defender to protect a game. You'd throw on another defender or forward to chase a game. But would you ever throw on a midfielder? Surely you wouldn't throw on a goalkeeper. Latter point, unquestionable. Mm. And, and just to comment, there's chuck on as well, isn't there? Is there any difference with chuck on and throw on? They're fairly interchangeable. Do you hear chucked on a lot? You hear it a little bit, like, yeah, just chuck on another striker or something. It's more throwaway, desperate. Well, in that case, if if it is a thing, chuck is definitely only for strikers because that's that's last roll of the dice, isn't it? Yeah, I, I but throwing on Chalibur... Seems yeah. odd. I think feel like it can only be roll of the dice situation. Yeah, because I feel like Chelsea had more control than that. It wasn't a kind of... Ah, fuck it, let's let's throw on Chalibur. It was like, a, we've got something to defend, let's carefully try and do that. Would you ever throw on a defender? Would you ever throw one on? What, what was the game the other day? Man United beating Villa. Johnny Evans came on for like the last minute. He wasn't thrown on, was he? That sort of is, you kind of are throwing... It's like I think a more attacking thing because it's yeah. des- there is the desperate element. There's a, oh, let's throw on another attacker and hope. Sort of hope for the best. Whereas when you're putting a defender on, you're kind of trying to do the opposite. You're trying to make the game calmer and less frenetic. You're just bringing them on. It's mm. it's, it, it's it's a calculated act to bring on a defender to, exactly. to to save a game. To shore things up. Yeah. You know, the other thing to say is that you can throw on defenders to, like, put them up front to yes. try and... 
Oh yeah, get them in the mixer. I mean, not, and of course, Stuart Pearce famously threw on David James up yeah, front. Yeah, he was totally thrown on. Like it's the ultimate, it's the ex- most extreme example of throwing on the footballer's ever seen. So yeah, yeah, George, it's much more clear cut than the scenario you have presented. Um, next up, be in sports. Embracing the Champions League, some A-lists. Um, Rude Hullet and Marcel Desailly joining Kizzy in the studio on one night, but also, of course, Arsene Wenger being drafted in. They had him on loan from the Arabic studio for a few few minutes. And here's what he had to say about Inter versus Atletico. Spot on for me. Yes, there is a soul in the stadium, you know, because of the history. And uh, you feel some strength because the history is there. I would say that San Siro for me is as well is a cathedral. I played many games there and uh, because of the, the fans are very close. You know, the, the slope is very straight, more than in any other stadium in Europe. When you sit at San Siro, you feel like you could fall down because uh, it's so straight. And uh, that makes a special atmosphere. Uh, really cliché stuff from Wenger there, Charlie. Yeah, I really like the detail he goes into. I also, pre- like, you can tell he's a proper linguist. He says San Siro rather than the San Siro. Mm. It's, all, it's all just so on point from him. Yeah, really granular detail to justify that cathedral shout. Let's get him on. Let's get him on. This is, this is our <laughs> come and, come and uh, join us, please. I did enjoy on, on Kizzy's tweet uh, trailing Wenger. He says something like, an Arsene Wenger's in town and he'll be joining us. I just love the idea of that. He's just, uh, yeah, he's popped by. <laughs> Uh, what would be Wenger's MHD, do you think? Financial doping as a yeah. a hatred, that yeah. sort of thing. It would all, all it would all be brought together under the umbrella of sporting integrity and spirit, wouldn't it? Mm. Playing the game yeah. the right way. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean Stoke. Just uh, Stoke from the late noughties. <laughs> be a bit on the nose for Wenger, wouldn't it? Bit of an obvious one, perhaps. Um uh, on a minor point there, um, hearing Arsene Wenger say the word cathedral, Charlie, given where Wenger's from in France, I've, I've always had this slight suspicion about the way he talks. It seems like really hard work talking like Arsene Wenger. Um, there are some words that really he has to kind of construct. <laughs> Look. Well, you mean because he's sort of that French-German yeah. border and he sort yeah. of gets gets caught in between. Yeah, it's um, incredibly stilted way of talking sometimes. But well, uh, I, I've always, I do like I've his always, voice. He's got a great voice, but I've always sort of... Because obviously he speaks amazing English, but I don't know if you remember when he did his farewell thing on the pitch at Arsenal, he suddenly, like, it was like he'd forgotten how to speak English. And that now, sort of, when I watch him, I'm kind of always a bit worried. He might say, like, he says something like, what was it he said? He's like, I have three words. Thank you. Or something. He just, like, completely makes a mess of it. And it's like, what's happened here? It's like he's got so much going on in his brain. Right. Um, let's round off part one of the adjudication panel, um, appropriately enough, from Xander Davies. At the full-time whistle of Inter versus Atletico on Tuesday, the TNT sports commentator Adam Summerton uttered the immortal words, advantage into Milan. Is it compulsory for commentators to say this when the first leg of a European knockout game ends with the team split by one goal? Yes, <laughs> it is. Yes, very much so. Are there any caveats to this, like home, away? I mean, given that there's no away goals rule anymore, I suppose that kind of removes that grey area. You could have used to, with the away goals rule, if you'd gone away and drawn 2-2 or something, you, you, you might hear an advantage, Team X. It maybe wouldn't be stated as emphatically, but it would mm. potentially have been... The advantage lies with to. Team X. It's absolutely standard. Absolutely standard. And then anything else, finally poised. What about 2-0 lead? Where does that... Would you say advantage? You probably would... You know, given it's, the history of ties not that, being it? over. Advantage in tennis, you can get back with one point. It's just a very specific advantage. It conveys the precariousness of it. What if it's a 2-0 win at home and you're taking that, that lead 
to their place. Does that dilute it slightly? What you mean if it's a particularly intimidating place, could that kind of make it? Yeah, you need could that the bring team it down in. to advantage. Yeah, could it? Well, if it's the other if it's the other way around, if if the sm- if a small team has won at home against a big team, no, because it would just it would be framed as they're going to have a right go at them back at their place, something to cling on to, but definitely not advantage. But, um, but two yeah. two nil as well, it doesn't quite meet threshold for. Does 2-0, could that be one foot in the next round? A 2-0? I think that, like, depending on... If you if you win away 2-0 and you're taking a 2-0 lead back home, that could be a one foot in the next round, couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, but then Pundit like would City also... Have got what, I mean, obviously it's context, but City have definitely got one foot in the quarterfinals yes. after winning 3-1 at Copenhagen. Yes, yeah, but, to, but would if Copenhagen had won 1-0, you wouldn't say advantage Copenhagen, would you? No, you wouldn't. Because it's wouldn't, too ominous it, still. Yeah, yeah. It, there's too much of a disparate kind of expectation between the two teams everyone just assumes in that situation Man City would have a right good go at them from the start at the Etihad whereas it needs to be two fairly evenly matched teams one of them getting the slight edge um, so yeah, okay. one nil. I think with one like in that instance would be more the tone would be more kind of well, whatever happens in three weeks' time, you know that they'll you can't take this away from them. Then they'll never forget tonight. Kind of on the understanding that it's a, they might still not win, but as a self-contained thing, it's still great. Okay, right. Finally poised as we go into part two. See you shortly. such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some from my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Football Clichés, part two of the adjudication panel. Question comes from Mike Edward. This was in response to a Premier League tweet about Mohamed Salah joining an exclusive club of players to score and assist in 30 or more different Premier League matches. Now, not a stat I've ever preoccupied myself too much with, Charlie, but the, the club he has joined is Wayne Rooney, Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer. That is an exclusive club by, you know, if you just look at it, by who's in it? By the like, members. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm a huge fan of this from Mike Edwards because this is, it's a really good observation. Exclusive club is such a thing that kind of permeates Twitter, 
discourse about quite obscure things. It feels a bit too arbitrary to be an exclusive club. I think that's my issue with it. This specific concept here, Dave, is saved by the fact of who is in the club. If it had just been like three other completely random people, I would really be pouring scorn on this because the only players to score and assist in 30 or more different Premier League matches. It's that last bit where it's just like, it's just the number of matches that it happened in. It's like, who cares about this? But then the the names come and you think, oh, fair enough, actually. I mean, I'm actually surprised that they've all done it that much to get an assist and a goal. Yeah, like it is quite notable. It is quite surprising. Wayne Rooney, four clear of Henri. He has scored and assisted in 36 games. Charlie, I think the most damning thing about this is if you'd, if you'd asked me to say how many games has Wayne Rooney scored and assisted in the Premier League, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't get even close to even figuring out what number I should suggest as an answer at all. 36? No idea. No idea. It's not a stat. That's what I mean. It's so arbitrary. It's kind of, they've picked a cutoff point, as, I guess, as a way of making it an exclusive club. <laughs> Though there, I'm sure there are other ways of doing it as well. But I, th- I, I think it's another, it's another example of the pervasive influence of FPL, because hmm. especially because this is coming from the Premier League, so they'll be sort of across it all. It's just a thing. You know, people will be going mad on when Salah came off the bench, he scored and assisted. They'll be tweeting all that about that and everything and the points that he's getting them. I'm actually quite surprised that Shearer's in there. You don't, you don't have Shearer down as an assister much, do you? Yeah, yeah. Just a good old knocker downer, isn't he? And uh, yeah, good strike partner, I guess. But, you know, in physical terms, if this was an actual club, Charlie, you know, had to be a <laughs> member to get into, it would be a really rubbish, it'd be just like a normal pub and then you get in and there's a velvet rope and then there's just Shearer, Henri and Rooney sat there in a normal pub. <laughs> w- welcoming salary. Yeah. Checking uh, whoscored.com on the door just to... <laughs> Just to, just to make sure. I mean, I guess it, what's so ridiculous is like they would barely remember. Like it's such an arbitrary distinction that they would struggle to recall these games, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. There's no way Rooney could name all 36 of those games. Not a chance. I'm sh- I think Shearer. I think Shearer, Shearer maybe. I think Shearer would, would, would remember everything. How many did you... No, <laughs> not Rooney, not Henri and how, not Salah. How many of those 31 games that Alan Shearer scored and assisted in do you reckon he turned provider? And how Ooh. many of them maybe even returned the favour? But that has with, to be the specific same place. Yeah, could be. Um, oh, that's what—that's the data I want them to drill down into. <laughs> he's turned provider in more, and he joins an exclusive club. Turn provider in fourteen Premier yeah. League games. Yeah, I think it's a stat. It's a valid stat, valid metric. Right, we asked our listeners, Dave, and um, what they think the threshold should be for a footballing exclusive club. Ed quote the Raven, really precise here. He says an exclusive club should be below 0.5 percent of all possible members with very few other active players likely to join anytime soon. And he gives a nice little case study as well. In baseball, there are 33 members of the 3,000 hit club out of around 20,000 players of all time. The most recent new member was in 2022, and there won't be another until at least 2029. Sounds pretty good to me, because it's it's a solid stat. It's a solid landmark. It's the most fundamental act in the game. And, it's a, it, and I don't care about the number so much, because it's obviously been pitched just right. And, you know, 33 people in it. That's an exclusive club. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It sort of brings to mind the 100 club in the Premier League. So I I can remember 
like being at school, I remember like doing quizzes and trying to guess who who all the who all the uh, players who scored a hundred goals in the Premier League, and it was, it was relatively exclusive in in the early noughties. But now it's kind of the the ranks have swelled somewhat since. Mm. Is it as exclusive as it was? Is a hundred is the hundred club an exclusive club? I don't think it's an exclusive club. No matter how you brand it, I don't care if you get yourself an episode on Sky Sports. There are going to be some of those I'm never going to watch. There are, but then pro rata, it must be remaining at similar kind of proportion because yes there are more of them but obviously as a percentage of all Premier League players you'd think it would be remaining fairly consistent yeah although there are more goals being scored but as a proportion I mean here's one that I think is a really good like a genuine exclusive club I just counted I think there are 39 which sounds like quite a lot but Premier League history perfect hat-trick a perfect hat-trick in the Premier League I think if someone scored a perfect hat-trick you could say they join an exclusive club because that's basically one a year a little over a little over one a year do you know how many perfect Premier League hat-tricks there's been well I think I think it's 39 yeah I wrote a piece on this about a year ago. I couldn't believe that there have been 39 perfect Premier League hat-tricks. That's, that's amazing to me. Yeah, that's definitely more than I expected, but that's still only just over one a season, which makes it feel exclusive enough as an act. Fair enough. Yeah, OK. That's a good little threshold, actually. Um, a little quiz for you now, Charlie. If indeed Salah had walked into this exclusive club and seen Thierry Henry, Wayne Rooney and Alan Shearer sat there, what, what would he have been? The latest member? In good company. In good company, yeah. Um, listener Sam writes in and said this was from Football Focus this was a list of players with impressive minutes per goal and assist this season the stats that Farah just alluded to there he's not keeping bad company is he Dion just behind Erling Haaland and Mo Salah he's not Kelly because he's getting the games he's getting the games he's now being consistent (laughs) this was Leon Bailey um, being in good company with Erling Haaland and Mohamed Salah. So do you think the in-good company thing is dependent on the player themselves being slightly less illustrious? Yeah, I think that's... but Well, because it's emphasising it, but it can be just used as a way of saying, like, you know, here are Salah and Haaland who are, like, the two best players, and we know that. But I think in its purest form, yes, especially there with it, he's not keeping bad company, because that's really... Like, I don't think... You, you wouldn't say that if the third player there was... I don't know, De Bruyne. Son Heung-min or De Bruyne. Mm. You wouldn't say they're in good company. No, because they're part of that company. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> that, exactly. The other two that, should be honoured to be there, if anything. Yeah, it sounds a bit patronising, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Good shout. But I mean, just thinking with Salah, if he did walk it, if he didn't know what club he was being <laughs> sort of <laughs> welcomed into and he saw Shearer there and Rooney there and Henri there... He probably have thought like, oh, this, wow, I'm being inducted into like some sort of Hall of Fame or like the best Premier League strikers ever. To then for him to be told it was that arbitrary, I think he'd have felt really disappointed. Like, that's what this is. I didn't even know I'd done that. I can't believe we've talked about this for 10 minutes. I can't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) It's ludicrous podcast. I enjoyed it. Get them all together. Right, next up, Jock Harrington gets in touch. He was listening to BBC Radio 5 Sports Extra. Uh, Ipswich versus Rotherham. Ipswich equalised early on in this seven-goal thriller. And um, ex-Rotherham manager Ronnie Moore says, uh, Wes Burns can't miss. It was a buffet ball. Go help yourself to that. I quite like buffet ball, Charlie. Yeah, that's like the old teapot finish. I think he's, that's that's like the old buffet ball. I, I'd believe that. I'd believe that that is an old thing that's that's often said. Does it feel a bit too close, Dave? I'm I'm always wary of um, allowing these sorts of things into the mainstream football lexicon because it does feel a bit like Wronglish from the mid '90s. It feels a little bit yeah. in the sort of eyebrows territory, doesn't it? I, yeah, I call that a buffet ball. It's something that maybe one person would claim for themselves, but not allow everyone else to have. Well, to, to, to get into it in more detail then, to compare it to on a plate, 
Mm. On a plate is infers that the plate's being delivered to you. You're being presented with the with the thing on the plate. <laughs> Whereas the buffet ball, as he says, you've got to go and help yourself Still to got it. Still work to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was it was on a put on a buffet for him, but he still had work to do. He had to run onto it. He had to run onto it. Yeah, get his own plate on a tray, and the plate sliding around on the tray because there's no <laughs> there's nothing on it yet. But it's almost like the pass is so good it gives you options like a buffet. You can go and help yourself <laughs> to a side foot near post finish. You can go high if you want. Like it's just it's that good a pass. That go is and, tremendous. Go and have, have a combo. Do what you want. Much better than being put on a plate. A plate tells you what you have to do. Yes, tremendous. Okay. Um, Gaz Meek took one look of the Premier League's tweeting out of the league table the other day and said, um, I don't see the need for lines on a league table at the best of times, so imagine my revulsion at seeing a line under first place. Surely <laughs> the most frivolous and unnecessary of all league lines. Uh, can we all agree straight away before we get into the real nuts and bolts of this, you don't need a line under the top team? Of course. Agreed. It's, I've never seen anything like it. Okay, so in your 20-team Premier League... Right now, Dave, where are you drawing the lines? Uh, I would go for uh, a line under f- between fourth and fifth, hmm. and obviously between seventeenth and eighteenth. Mm-hmm. And then there's some debate about whether you would draw the line between fifth and sixth, and do you? But then do you get seventh and eighth involved with all the European connotations? I think that gets a bit issue? messy. I think that gets a bit messy. But looking at this this example, obviously it's a Premier League branded graphic. But if you just showed me it in like plain text form with the lines, I would have thought, what is this from 1970s or something when only one team got into Europe? <laughs> yeah, that's what it looks like have a line underneath first it implies that there's something extra that they're going to get above and beyond just winning the league (laughs) i think the general dilemma here charlie is that um some people are going to be inclined to put in lines for european places which is very much a contingent thing as we know now it's based on you know league cup and all sorts of stuff you can't have that well also the coefficient thing now we don't know if champions league is fourth or fifth so it's that kills it especially difficult yeah it really does it's a good line to have the champions league line right yeah i think otherwise having Having the fourth in normal seasons would is fine because that clearly is such a big deal. Yeah. So I mean, you can do the yeah, and then you're into two Europa League, one Conference League. Then it starts getting very busy there. Elizabeth Barnard wades into the debate next. I, I actually don't know where she got this graphic. It looks quite BBC, but I'm not sure. She says this is the right way to do it. A line, a line that that ring fence is fifth on its own. She says he thinks she thinks this works because the fifth place will be like oh maybe Champions League. <laughs> Oh, so you're in that kind of you're you're in that confused space. <laughs> I do see I do see the logic there because if you, yeah the team that is fifth is currently a bit like what where, where are we going like can someone just tell us are we going to the Champions League or not so so isolating them is quite funny. The league table is sacrosanct like that is the place for facts and facts only. <laughs> yeah. There cannot there can be no room for speculation yeah, or, or permutations or, or anything like that on a league table. You can have little annotation on Wikipedia. I'm all for that, but not in a standard. At a glance, league table. James Dixon muddies the waters even more, Charlie. says, dotted lines for playoffs only. Fine. Or in the case of Scotland, a league split. Yeah, sure. Mm, However, I don't mind coloured shading indicating European places. Oh, bloody hell. Well, again, that's that's Wikipedia tables, isn't it? Wikipedia is so good at this. Yeah, they do that really well. But yeah, this this is a different beast. Now, there's something really classy, Dave. You go look at some old Wikipedia league tables, which I do frequently, and uh, they will shade 
a team who haven't just finished 14th or something. You're like, oh, ah, they won a cup competition. That's why they're in Europe. (laughs) Really (laughs) elegant way of combining the fortunes in cups and league. Class. That's fine to do it after the league's finished and everything's been done. You can't have it just in case. They're in the semi-final, so we'll (laughs) shade them just in case. Yeah, maybe. Um, Nifty Palms has a real hot take about this, Charlie says. I think the whole top half, bottom half divide is overused purely because of TV graphics. I'm not having Team X dropping into the bottom half or climbing into the top half as if it means anything. I don't know. Yeah, I like it. I think it does mean something. I think like 10th, especially if you're a team that's been sort of tipped for relegation or something, 10th is is just quite a lot better than 11th. Exactly. Mm. It's and not t- just a symbolic thing, Dave. It isn't just about being page one on CFAX. It, it's not. It's about being in the better half of your league, which I think is it's more than symbol. It's 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 a thing you want to target for some teams. I want to be top do, half this season. I, I, yeah, I do think. Kick it, on top eight. When when um, Watford's highest ever Premier League finish was eleventh in eighteen nineteen, and we we were on to finish in the top half, but then tailed off because of the FA Cup final. And it did feel a bit, it did feel a bit disappointing. It did feel like we'd we'd let something slip a little bit. But I, but I do think I'm there sorry, is I something. Sorry, I just interpreted that as the year eighteen nineteen. I thought first, what? I thought that as well. Yeah, it did, did take me a second. <laughs> did they dot the lines in the newspaper in the West Hearts League? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do think there is something in it. Like it, the TV graphics probably have led us down this path a little bit I suppose but also it's symmetry or whatever but and I also think it's more of a thing these days because it's kind of clutching at straws so many teams have got absolutely no hope of getting anything other than finishing in the top half that that becomes Mm. a bit more of a talking point than it maybe would have been 20 years 30 years ago. As if this debate couldn't get any more complex, Charlie. Stuart Wright sticks his oar and says, spin-off question, when should the dotted lines be drawn? I'm pretty sure Teletext slash CFAX used to add them only in the last third of a season. That's when you knew shit was getting serious. I mean, it's a fair point. Do you need this stuff before the business end of the season starts? Like, what's the point in putting it in in August, September, October? I mean, what is it really ever going to denote? Or does it just look nice? Yeah, that is an interesting one. I mean, I don't know then at what point, if the season ended today... It nearly happened. Nearly happened in COVID. Well, yeah. I had to suddenly scribble on some lines as, as it looked like the season might be declared null and void. Peter Ormerod seeks to answer this question, Dave. He says uh, the line should not be drawn until the last fortnight of the Why, season. Why, though? <laughs> Why? That's too late. <laughs> we all know they're coming. We all know they're coming. Oh, they've not drawn the line yet. Do you think they've... Are we, have we, <laughs> we been... might get away with it. <laughs> That's like painting the finish line of a of a four hundred meter race right at the end. Oh, here is it. Oh, yeah. That's too late. I I, I will stick up for that. Stuart Wright had me thinking, but now I just think leave them in. We all know what we're aiming for. Fantastic. Okay. Right. Finally, um, got to have a little bit of keys in a midweek adjudication panel. After his watching brief at Goodison Park, after being announced as um, Roy Hodgson's successor as Crystal Palace manager, Oliver Glasner has a manager ever on paper, been set to receive less support from Richard Keyes than Oliver Glasner. <laughs> Can you think of a set of circumstances and a background that would that would garner less support from Keyes? I was th- Jesse Marsh, possibly the whole American thing, the fact that he's really self-confident, has quite like wacky ideas, quite modern ideas. Oh yeah, like, Glasner that, being that sort a- of dignified and, and sort of ego-free might help him, you mean? Yeah, yeah. So I think that might have been a more potent one. I mean, don't get me wrong, Glasner is right up there. And as soon as you said that, I thought, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, what, what Glasner will mean for... I didn't really care about his appointment. Now I'm really invested in it. Uh, is Keezy much of a Hodgson supporter? 
I think so. Kind yeah. of by default, I suppose. He has quoted him uh, on Qatar in one of his blogs previously. Hodgson uh, was was quite pro Qatar or quite open minded about it, which obviously went down very well with with Kesey. And Kesey did recently, you know, very much got ahead of the curve in pushing Xabi Alonso as a mm. candidate for Man United, right? So, but he's played the game. That is crucial. Yeah, to to, to whether. Keezy likes you or not. She might have been keeping tabs on his Bundesliga a little bit, maybe. <laughs> you reckon? Oliver Glasner does not sound like somebody's going to like. He's going to call him a school teacher, isn't he? And yes. It's possible, certainly. By extension, Dave, has a manager ever needed to hit the ground running more than Glasner has to to, to please Keezy? Oh, certainly think there's a bit of that. Yeah, for sure. He'll be under st- immediate pressure if he loses his first game. Especially as there are so many of Keezy's favourites who he'd think Palace should have turned to before Oliver Glasner. Yeah, yeah. and and the spectre of um, of Frank de Boer still lose yeah. because they've done this before it didn't work then it's not going to work now. <laughs> but on the subject on the subject of Glasner uh, I was thinking this while watching the game on Monday and it, it's this ridiculous sort of pantomime charade that we go through every time there's this scenario where a manager is appointed too late to take charge of the game and is in the stand a watching brief if yeah. you will and Dave Jones just kept banging on about what well, we've been told we've been told that he's that he's not had any input so far but we're not sure but but they have gone to a back three Jesse so what do you think's going on here it's like well of course They've suddenly gone to 3-4-3 from being Roy Hodgson 4-4-2 or whatever. Like, of course he's had a word. You can see him talking about it in the stands. Like, why do we have to pretend that he, he's, he's not been anywhere near the dressing room? We, we, we have to stress that. Can't reiterate that enough. Ray Lewington visiting Roy in hospital, then getting home and firing up Spiel Verlagerung and going, right, my time is now. <laughs> what can we do? Um, anyway, yeah, Godspeed. Oliver Glasner, you're going to need it, in Doha at least. Right, thanks to you, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you. Great midweek adjudication panelling, Dave Walker. Thank you. And we'll be back on Tuesday. See ya. See ya.